and welcome to another episode of Interactive Control, the place to get all your burning power controls questions answered. I'm your host, Michelle Rosinski. First, I'd like to give a quick reminder that Nexus Controls has been acquired by GE Renova. This means that we'll be able to provide our customers with even better solutions as a single full-service controls business line. Today, we'll be discussing system reliability with my guest, Bob Bellis. Bob is a principal customer application engineer at GE Gas Power. He has over 23 years of experience with combined cycle power plant controls, digital product management, engineering management, and energy ISO slash RTO. Prior to joining GE, Bob was an officer in the U.S. Navy, serving at the headquarters of the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Program. Bob received bachelor's and master's degrees in mechanical engineering from MIT and a master of engineering administration from Virginia Tech. This episode is the conclusion of a four-part series on advanced controls. If you missed the previous episodes on startup agility, combustion versatility, and load flexibility, I would encourage you to listen to those as well. Now let's listen in to learn on about system reliability. Hi, Bob. Welcome back for the conclusion of our four-part series on advanced turbine controls. Today, we're going to be talking about system reliability. Um, so thank you for being here. Thank you for having me once again. Yeah, this has been a great series, and um, I'm so thankful that you've been able to give us some of your time. I'm not going to go through your background. We did cover that in episode one, so it'll be there for anybody that wants to go back and listen, and it will also be in the show notes. So I will just kick it right off and ask you, what are some considerations around system reliability, and why does it matter to a turbine operator? Uh, it's a great, great question. This is a great topic to to wrap up our series here on, Michelle, as well. So first, top of my mind, I kind of think about it um, with the landscape of the power generation industry looking forward here uh the operating profiles of most plants are changing right back when um a plant was running in mostly base load steady state operations you could argue that it was not too challenging to maintain system reliability now that plants are changing to a more cyclic mode of operation that puts a lot more wear and tear on a plant and increases the risk to reliability. So the the importance of system reliability is is just magnified by the fact of a changing operating profile. And then secondly, on that point, if you if you look to the actually the the generation mix that's on the power grid, as we go to a mix that's got more non-dispatchable intermittent renewables on the grid. Those are uh, it's it becomes even more important for those remaining thermal assets that are indeed dispatchable to truly be reliable, because if, it, you know, if you're a dispatchable asset, but you can't be reliably trusted to be dispatched to back, backstop intermittent renewables, then, you know, we're all at a loss. So you're yeah, then what are we doing? Yeah, that's that's system reliability <laughs> on a not just a plant level, but that's the whole grid system type of thing. So, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's the biggest, uh, the double whammy, if, if you will, that's out there for why system reliability is a big deal these days. Yeah, it becomes even more important because when you are a dispatchable power source and you're needed, you need to be counted upon. Exactly. You got it. And, and maybe okay. on that point, um, just to say that a lot of the grid operators, you know, the ISOs, they're recognizing that. And so they're um, 
driving reliability by imposing penalties, you know, or, you know, other kind of market structures and you know, economic incentives to say, if, if, hey, if you committed to deliver, say, liquid fuel operation when gas is not available and you don't, you're going to be penalized pretty heavily because they're they're counting on you to be there in this this very stressed future world. So, it's it's not just the you know there's there's truly an economic driver and a lot of the system operators are getting it to drive you to go do that. So, um, everybody gets it, I think. Yeah, it's not just an ethical obligation. There's money involved here yeah, as well. Exactly right. <laughs> yep, you got it. You got it. Um, okay, so then what can customers do to influence their system reliability? Sure, that's that's a great great question. So I, I kind of think about this in a, in a couple of ways. Um, yeah, if you looked maybe historically, one way to make sure your plant was reliable was to basically over maintain it, do preventive maintenance on the you know, to the point of overkill. You could you could keep your plant 99% reliable if you spend a ton of money and resources on doing maintenance, and, and that's great, but it's really expensive. And then uh, as you shift the plant operation to a profile that's more cyclic in nature, the cost to maintain that same 99% or whatever you know, reliability level you want to achieve, it's just got to go through the roof because cycling is very hard on on power plants. So, so that's you know that's one method, but that's really not sustainable um, unless you know uh, you've got deep pockets. Uh, so, <laughs> one one of the nice things that's out there though with the and you see this in a lot of industries too is big data or digital you know a lot of the solutions that the uh, um you know the the big data industry if you will brings to the table can truly help to save um or maintain reliability that same that you expect but do it at a much lower cost and that's by using you know data mining and analytics and kind of pattern recognition type things to uh you know, do maintenance on a more of a condition-based manner. So let's say I'm going to you know, look at the historical operating data and, and go see uh, which systems gave you trouble or look at trends. You know, hey, this system's been operating just fine, but hey, the last two or three times we've started, uh, you know, the, 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 the circuit drew that much more electrical current to make the valve actuate. Um, it took longer for that valve to stroke. Well, clearly there must be something going wrong with that valve. I don't know what it is because it's just software that's looking at, you know, differences in patterns. But, hey, that it's an insight that tells you where to look. So now you can go, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to add that vel to my next maintenance, uh, uh, you know, scheduled outage and go take a look at it. Or even proactively say, you know what, I'm going to order a valve so I have it on a shelf just in case I know that that valve is going to be a problem when it when it gets to the point of uh, doing that outage. So that's, you know, kind of. Using data and analytics to help you better fine tune or hone in on where you need to be doing your maintenance, and then thereby being selective about your maintenance, condition-based maintenance instead of just blanket preventive maintenance on everything. You can be smarter about how you're going about it. So, so that's yeah, a whole instead of time-based. Exactly, instead of time-based, becomes condition-based. So that's a massive um, area, and that's probably one of the biggest opportunities that's out there. So. That's one aspect that kind of on the, I'll call it more the offline side of things. So you're looking at the operating data, but how you address what's what's happening when you when the plant's down. <clears throat> the other the other thing that kind of comes to my mind is is, is in the world of the uh, the actual software that's running in the machines. The uh, um, you know as we you modernize the hardware, the equipment that's in the turbine, but a lot of these plants, you know, we we've talked in prior sessions, you know, they're 
getting 20, 25 years old. They're building the bubble, North America in, in particular. A lot of the power plants are from that early 2000s time frame. Well, the software is, is now 20 years old. There's mm. a lot of things we've learned over the last 20 years that we can, um, you know, apply in a, in a retrofit manner to modernize the software that's there, apply the latest design practices, latest approaches, and then incorporate all those lessons learned from 20 years of experience on how machines have run. And in that way, you know, if you will, rationalize the logic, get it up to a, uh, a modern standard that doesn't have uh, unnecessary trips, unnecessary protective actions in it that might drive you to, um, yeah, it's less on the maintenance side, but more on the operational reliability, keeping the plant running. If I've got some software that's that's overly conservative and takes the plant offline when it doesn't need to be, well, that's not helping system reliability at all. If we can get rid of that, rationalize the protection logic, you can, uh, you can keep your plant up and running uh, uh, even better. So I think there's two aspects there. One is that over the last 20 years, we've learned a lot about how to be a little bit less conservative, right? We know how to yep. cut the margins closer and, and be more efficient. Um, and then we also know better how to run with all these stops and starts, which is not what the plans were designed for 20 years ago. Exactly. Yep. 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 So that's that double whammy uh, you got you got on the head there. The, the experience from 20 plus years allows us to trim away conservatism because, you know, back then when we just didn't have that experience, you know, the engineers in us would, would also, hey, well, I'm going to operate this in a conservative manner until I got the experience I can trim away at it. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of that experience is with, hey, let's do more starts and stops. And, and yeah, the, not a whole lot of thought was put into it when those plants were designed, as we probably talked in the past. So there's, um, uh, yeah, opportunity there, plenty of even really low-hanging fruit to go improve upon how we make a plant be reliable when it's got a high degree of cyclic operation. So Yeah. Now, something you said a minute ago, right, about the data solutions, the database solutions, um, you said that today it's, it's focused largely on anomaly detection. It can kind of track how things have run, and it can notice that something is acting out of order. But it it's not good at saying, here's the problem, right? It just kind of is like yeah. giving you the location to go look into. Is yes. that true? Okay. Yeah. I would imagine that at some point in the future, uh, there'd be, you know, somebody would be working on a solution that can identify the problem based on the anomaly. I think one of the issues is that we, we say big data, but in these plants, it's not the level of big data that you see in like a data center, things like that. Like we we have a limited amount of data to work with on the control system. We do, but but I I could argue that you could there's a there's a ton of plant level data, the signals and trends, and it's it's it can be overwhelming, and so that that numerical you know pattern recognition type software that can kind of filter out the stuff that's not so relevant i think is important is is useful but but then the the art becomes the you know the really the experts on how those plants run to go interpret that data and make a decision mm -hmm. based on it so maybe down the road you know artificial intelligence is becoming a big topic these days but you, you gotta if you could get the uh you know the the, the physics-based knowledge that the you know, the 30-year veteran experts have in their head on, on how and why a plant's doing what it's doing, 
you know, and, and code that in artificial intelligence. Yeah, maybe Michelle, we can get to the point where there is a, um, you know, not just a a flag that says, "Yep, hey, something's different this time," but it says, "Here's the likely reason why and what the suggested corrective actions are to go go fix, you know, whatever issue mm. is, is has been flagged." So, so that's exciting part of the future possibly that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know this is a bit of a digression. I'm just being yeah. a bit of a nerd here. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's tough because, you know, you, you find an anomaly, but how often does that anomaly ever occur? So it's really hard to build exactly. up a database of the anomalies and what to do. Because even if it's the same anomaly, sometimes the fix is going to be different. So that's really tricky. Yep. 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 Exactly. And that's that's the, uh, yeah, the holy grail trying to solve that. Okay. Okay. So we talked about data solutions. We talked about uh, modernizing and getting the latest software that we we've learned a lot in the last 20 years. Um, what else can customers do? One other area that I think is worth talking about is is training um, a little bit. We, you know, you've got uh, maybe two factors here, particularly in the power gen industry. The, you have a, an aging workforce. You've got folks that, uh, you know, it's just we kind of mentioned, you know, the folks that have that deep 30-year experience on how a plant runs and, and what the issues are. And that's, um, you know, those folks may be aging out, retiring, and being replaced by younger folks who are, you know, don't have that depth of experience and, you know, don't know how to interpret and filter out the uh, you know, the alarms or the signals or whatever's coming up on the screen. So um, getting I guess I kind of say maybe training on just, you know, try to get them up to speed on the kind of the physics and how that plant runs uh, is, is one side of it. And it's maybe broader than training. It's it's like help the operators be more successful, you know, build user interfaces that um, don't overwhelm them with alarms or, uh, you know, things that are not actionable for an operator to actually do something about so, you know, you think about the, you know, the, the user interfaces we have on our phones and computers today and, uh, you know, the control systems and the user interfaces that were done 20 years ago are, are you know, pretty clunky by, by today's modern standards. So a kind of a refresh of that user interface, um, factor one, that, that only displays information that's actionable that an operator can do, alarms that are actually meaning something and not just a for information type of thing. You, you, it reduces the, you know, it's kind of a human factors engineering, reduces the mental stress and overload that an operator has, especially someone that doesn't have the deep experience to know which ones are important, which ones aren't. So so that's kind of one piece, I think, that it goes with training. Um, and then just the, the fundamentals of you, know, you got to bring folks up to speed uh, on to, you know, power plants are, are, are complex pieces of equipment. You know, they're, they're systems that are inherently complex, um, lots of Lots of data, lots of signal, lots of equipment, you know, lots of uh, things to be paying attention to. So it's important for folks to be trained on on uh, what they're seeing, and what they're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. So so two more things, right, yep. are around alarm rationalization. And again, I bet there's a lot that we learned in the last 20 years um, that can can help rationalize those alarms and yep. kind of pull out the noise. Um and then training, right? Which is a good thing if you are, you know, cycling your workforce in any ways due to retirement or people leaving. Mm -hmm. um, that's always a good thing to to be doing 
especially if you end up modernizing, right? Then you're going to want to retrain too. Uh, exactly. Yep. 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 Especially in the you know in the, in the newer, younger operator that's going to come in is going to sort of expect a more modern user interface anyway. Mm, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Um, Okay, so so that covers what customers can do to impact system reliability. And then what I'd like to talk about is um, what can GE Vernova specifically do in these spaces? Okay, yeah, yeah, we can we can dive into that. And I mean, it'll follow pretty much kind of what we were you know, the things that customers can do, but we can help on the GE Vernova side to help with a lot of these things. So training, we, we have uh, uh, certainly dedicated uh, training organizations and facilities to do, uh, to bring folks up to speed on the, the MARC controller and uh, simplicity screens that we use for our HMIs um, and how those those work. Uh, that's training that can be done Either at uh, I think the, in the in the Houston facility or even locally at a, at a customer site. Um, mm-hmm. So that's you know that's out there and it's been around for a long time. It's a really good uh, you know you know they've got a syllabus or rather a rather a course catalog where you can see syllabi of all the different offerings that are available there. So that that's a real good thing to look into. And I think uh, Michelle, maybe we'll, we'll we can throw a link to the training website in here. I was at, just at thinking yep. that in the show notes. Great <laughs> yep. lines. Good stuff. So, um, and then on kind of on the on the idea of alarm rationalization, that that's exactly what I, we were sort of hinting at is that on the on the Jeevan oversight, we've done a lot of work to kind of rethink what that user interface looks like. So we have. Um, particularly you know, our HA turbines, so the latest and greatest clean sheet of paper design turbines, come with what's called Active Point as the I'll call it the brand name of the user interface, and it, and it uses kind of a grayscale screen where the only thing that shows up in color is things that are actionable, things that are important for an operator to pay attention to. Everything else is kind of, you know, if it's if it's gray, it's everything's fine. Yeah, there's nothing nothing to be worried about. Instead of just uh, you know. The old designs generally had a, a ton of use of color that could create confusion unless you knew where to look kind of thing. So um, so that's kind of the universe, use, user interface side of it. And then kind of built into that grayscale active point style screens is the what's under the hood. And that's fundamentally rationalizing all of the, the alarm logic and the protection logic. So the only alarms that are going to show up on the, the HMI screen that the operator is sitting in front of are ones that are you know, in, you know, one important and two, there's something that they can do about it. And they're actionable. If they're just say, yep, hey, this the I'm going to give you an alarm because this switch changed from this position to that position. Well, I don't care. Why are you telling me that? That doesn't belong on the HMI screen. That belongs in a data log on a different page. You know, so that if you do need to trouble something you later, you can, you can get to it. So that's a lot. That's kind of an example of what we mean by kind of rationalizing the alarms. Only kind of categorize them into you know, high, medium, and low, uh, things that are actionable, things that are not, and only display them in a way that, uh, you know, where they're relevant, where an operator can do something with them, so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? So then you're focused on what you can do and what's relevant to you, and you're not being distracted by all the noise. You got it, exactly right. Okay, so training and alarm rationalization are things GE Renova can help with. Yep. What else? So if I, I think about, I, I kind of mentioned at the start, you know, the, the the big data side of things. So in GE Digital, we do have 
solutions, particularly the, the uh, cloud-based software called APM or Asset Performance Management. And it does a lot of what I was talking about, the big data analytics. It's, it's that pattern recognition, you know, looking at it's sorting through mountains of data to find trends and look for things that are a little bit different and help you kind of automate that maintenance planning, optimize your condition-based maintenance. You'll let the software do the hard work so that you only spend your money on the things that you need to. So that's that's a proven service that's been out there uh, for quite a while at this point. And the, the, the other nice thing that GE has that uh, I think supplements and, and you know, really, really massively enhances, I guess is maybe a better way to say it, what asset performance management can do is that we do have tons of monitoring and diagnostics data, you know, mountains and mountains of it uh, that have been gathered over 20, 25 years of of operating turbines and monitoring them in particular. So we've got, you know, thousands of turbines and uh, you know, it's millions or billions of hours, you know, at this point of operating data that can get, you know, folded in to those mathematical pattern re- recognition algorithms to kind of marry the two, the physics-based experience that we've got, that, that data is is truly a, a goldmine, you know, and combining that with the, hey, the current run state of a turbine to go make, you know, actionable recommendations for customers to keep their plant up and running, keep that system reliability as high as possible. So that's out there with GE Digital. Yeah, and that, that's a strength that we have, right? Because we have access to not just, you know, one site or one unit. We have access to data on the fleet of units. Yep. And so we can use that to populate and build our models. And then we can tune it specifically for the individual unit. But we can, you know, get yep. it most of the way there based on our data. Yep, you got exactly right. It's, it's uh, you know, you think there's a lot of customers that have built their own kind of monitoring and diagnostic facilities. But again, their their fleet populations are going to be an order of magnitude smaller than what GE has. You know, we're we're, we're going to be just so that and big data is 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 king. You know, the the more data you have, the better you have chances of of identifying, you know, predicting, offering correct, you know, what what to do. Yep, yep, we've seen this before. You know, whereas the smaller populations of data, um, it just takes longer, you know. That all of this, a lot of this big data and analytics is is about you know learning models. You gotta you gotta have data to learn from, and so we mm-hmm. we've got that's one advantage that that we really can uh, helps helps differentiate what the what GE Digital can offer is that that extensive database that we already have from thousands of turbines. Yeah. Yep. Um, for any listeners that don't know, and I won't spend a lot of time on this because I think we could get really lost in the weeds here, but um, GE, you know, it's kind of divided up. There's GE Power, there's GE Digital, um, you know, ISIT and GE Gas Power. Um, it's all going to be part of GE Vernova that's splitting off uh, early next year. So that's what we mean when we say GE Digital. It is like a separate uh, group and they provide digital solutions. Um, so yeah, I think that hopefully helps in case anybody was confused about that. Yeah. Good clarification. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what else can GE Vernova do? So we, we've talked to kind of at the at the high level, some of these bigger kind of macro level things. You know the user interface, the the digital solutions. Um, I think I we, we can talk about some simpler things here too. Some 
uh, yeah, maybe give some examples of things, uh, you know, lessons learned over the last 20 plus years, you know, that, that we can um, fold back into older equipment and help them, you know, better adapt to a changing, changing world. So, um, in particular, if I look at, uh, like, our older machines, our, our B&E class ones, um, just a simple you know, software update to what's running on the machine to do trip avoidance software. And that's basically in a in a relatively simple package, go do a, a software update that rationalizes the protection logic, gets rid of unnecessary trips, runbacks and protective actions and gets you going. So kind of a modular, nice little uh, update. You know, and you think about it on your phone or your computer, you get periodic updates of software. Well, that's kind of the idea here. You know, bring it up to the latest standard and just just do kind of a, um, you know, a, uh, I don't want to call it a patch, but, you know, an, an update to the latest standard. And that's kind of a, uh, in the BD class, we, we do that. And then in the F class turbines as well, that's kind of a, an approach where we've said, hey, just update to the latest common libraries that we use. And, you know, so you get the same software as if you bought a brand new turbine today. Yes, tailored a little bit to match your plant's unique configuration, but the starting point is the, the latest and greatest, what we ship with a new unit. So I think that's um, kind of in the spirit of trip avoidance and diagnostics and productivity are two kind of, uh, you know, pretty st standard things. And I, I've, I've thought about this a lot with, uh, you know, there's a lot of customers, you know, you, you think about your your turbine, your control system, you know, we, we, the, the components that make up the controller, uh, the hardware side of it, the processors and such, a lot of those go obsolete over time, you know, Intel or Cisco or Microsoft, they stop making the computer parts that go into a lot of the controller hardware that we go, you know, that, that uh, support operation of these turbines. So, um, but, you know, if it then makes sense to invest in updating the controller hardware to something that's got lifecycle support and is out there, it makes sense to do the software at the same time. You know, if, if you, yeah. you don't want obsolete parts because that's going to affect your system reliability. Well, you want the software to be updated at the same time to bring it up to the latest standards too. So that's that's kind of a philosophy, I think, and, and that may to some degree get into, Michelle, I think there you know, there's efforts to develop a, a control service offering, kind of a, a long-term service agreement that we um, – have available now for control systems to kind of do that to keep the control system side of it you know just focus on that piece um as a subset of the overall plant but that's something to, to look at that i think it's a it's a good approach looking down the road to keep your you know plant on the latest and greatest on the cutting edge yeah that's a great mention we are doing a lot right now with our control service offering um so you know, we actually just updated the website with all of our service pages. So um, there's a lot that we can do on that side to yep. help take care of the health of your control system, keep you up to date, things like that. So then you can, you know, as a customer, they can really focus on their operation and um, right. not you know, worry about that. Yep. Exactly. So I, I think I've got just two other smaller examples that I, I think will kind of tie to, you know, s relatively simple, but system reliability benefits that, that tie back to the kind of the, the larger um, macro landscape, if you will. And, and one of these uh, I'm going to call sliding fuel pressure. And so so this is, um, you know, going back to our, our high level landscape, we've got a power grid that's being uh, 
changed significantly. A lot more renewables on the grid, a lot more non-dispatchable resources that are there. So those thermal assets that are there that do need to be dispatchable have got to be reliable. Well, there's a few events in North America in the last couple of years where uh, the you know, it, somewhat perhaps you can make argument was tied to climate change, but some big cold waves, uh, Winter Storm Uri and Winter Storm Elliott, um, one in ERCOT, one in kind of the, I'll call it the mid-Atlantic area. But both of those severe cold out, cold weather outbreaks, you know, strained the gas supply system uh, significantly such that gas was being, um, uh, you know, maybe diverted for home heating, which meant less gas in pipelines available for power plants to run. So that kind of exacerbated the problem of you know, if you don't have a power plant to run, you have electricity to generate heat, and then you, you make the problem worse. And so what one solution that we've developed over the last few years, somewhat in, in recognition of these kinds of conditions, is, is something called sliding fuel pressure. And that basically goes with the a lot of the, I guess call it the design philosophy, of the Opflex portfolio over the years, where we're, let's get rid of unnecessary conservatism in how we, in the fuel pressure requirement that we require for our turbines to operate. Back in the day when gas was, you know, pressure was never going to be really an issue and a concern, we said, fine, I'm going to pick the absolute worst case condition and command that thou shalt keep your gas pressure above this threshold. And if you do that, the turbine will run properly and everything will be good. We won't have issues. Well, the reality is um, I don't need that ga- that high of a gas pressure 100% of the operating time. And in particular, you know, for these customers that, you know, ERCOT and the Mid-Atlantic that face these these two winter storms, that became a real issue. You know, they, they the pipeline pressure, uh, pipeline gas pressure dropped, and now these plants can't run because the gas pressure is not high enough. Well, if I can, with a relatively simple software solution, buy you more margin, buy you more available, I'll call it operating flexibility to tolerate low gas pressure in the pipeline by as much as, you know, if I'm, uh, you know, normally I'm 400, 450 psi pipeline gas. Well, there's you could have a turbine run at half of that probably under certain load conditions. Um, uh, you know, you, you may not get the full load at that level, but that's a lot better than zero. So that's a. I just bring that up as an example where we've we've uh, thought about the macro level system and things that we can do, you know, at the turbine level to go help influence and and help improve conditions at the at the overall system level and you know and, and reduce the impact of, of big winter storms like that so um i like that one as a nice simple example on it yeah it's a good one and then the last one here i want to talk about is is i'm going to call it the non-optical flame detector so this is a safety system that you know flame detectors are there to make sure gas turbines uh uh you know if there's a flame present okay we're uh, the turbine is operating properly. You know, I'm combusting the gas, and it's it's you know in a controlled manner. If I don't have a flame, then I'm dumping fuel into something that's not controlled anymore, and I risk a safety issue, an explosion type of thing. So, typically in the past, that safety system, that flame detector, has been a physically separate uh, detector, either you know that has a, a physical probe that's inside the combustion chamber looking at for and optically detecting whether there's a flame or not. And those sensors come with a lot of uh, plumbing. You, know, to, uh, you need water in there to cool the sensor so it doesn't overheat while it's detecting flames. Um, 
And so that's a maintenance headache. It can be an issue that can, you know, if your safety system's not operating properly, you can't run your turbine, so your system reliability goes out. So uh, what we found over the years is that we can kind of create a, I'll call it a surrogate flame sensor using software, measuring all the other sensors and taking those and integrating them together into an algorithm. I can in a sense, do as good or better than a physical flame detector with a software algorithm. Provides the same level of safety, but has basically zero maintenance because it's just the software. It's it's embedded in the controller and it, it allows you to do all the normal operations that you, you want to without having the overhead and the maintenance cost. So it's a, it's a simplification approach to get you the same outcome without needing a physical system to go do it. So that, that's called the, the non-optical flame detector. It's, and like I said, it's an algorithm that is embedded in the software, leverages uh, existing other sensors that you have to have on the turbine anyway for operation, um, and thereby get you that same same uh, safety protection, you know, uh, explosion risk type thing with uh, with a lot lower maintenance cost. So, so I think that's a good example to um, kind of tie it back to the you know, the, you know relatively simple you know, at the turbine level, at the deck level type of things that we can do um, with software advanced controls to go help at the at the system, you know, you know, help the, that much larger um, objective of system reliability, not just the turbine level, but the overall grid. Yeah. So that non-optical flame detector, it's essentially using an algorithm to to model the behavior and understand if the flame is present or not without having the actual physical flame detector. That's exactly right. Yep. It's, it's, it's really quite, I think, creative and inventive uh, technology. It's a, uh, it's impressive. Yeah. That's my favorite example. I think it's the coolest. Yeah. It gets yeah, my vote. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a neat one. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So just to recap, we talked about the non-optical flame detector. We talked about sliding fuel pressure. Um, we talked about diagnostics and productivity, although we may not have said those words, um, but kind of just the improvement. It, it in the same vein of with, with chip avoidance, you're modernizing the software to get it to uh, the latest standards. And the diagnostics productivity piece is kind of the, uh, uh, I guess I'll say it, you know, making it easier for the operator to do to, to troubleshoot, to diagnose what issues are going on and be, be more productive about getting the turbine back up and running should a, a real issue uh, come up. So it's it's assistance in the troubleshooting process is kind of, you know, just build that into the software along with the, you know, the other side of it is avoid the issues to begin with by rationalizing the protection and alarm logic, first of all. Right. right. Yep. Okay. So we talked about diagnostics and productivity. We talked yep. about trip avoidance, which you just mentioned again. We touched on the control services offering, which yep. is another thing that's helpful here. Um, and then from GE digital point of view, we talked about APM and smart signal. Mm -hmm. Plus we talked about training and alarm rationalization. So I think we covered a lot of different things that GE Renova can do to help our customers with uh, system reliability. Um, is there anything else you want to add about system reliability? Uh, I can't think of anything more to say right now, but I, but I think it, it's it's you know paramount that this is a, an area where we continue to focus 
you know, as 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 we the uh, you know as we, we kind of started this is is the operating profile of a lot of our you know thermal plants change over time. The importance of system reliability. I can't emphasize that enough. It's going to become even yeah. more critical. So what what I can see is even more investment here in this space. So you know, there's hey, if there's some neat ideas you got out there of things we can go do with advanced control software to go help improve upon system reliability. Hey, you know that that's that's where we want to be. That's where it's of necessity. Yeah, one just it's the right thing to do for the grid, and, and two it, it it could very well be an economic driver, you know, to to need to go do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this was a great way to wrap up our series. And again, I'm so thankful that you've been able to give this time to us and help help un- us understand all the these different topics and, you know, what customers can do, what GE Renova can do to help. So thank you so much. You're very welcome, Michelle. This has been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. It's it's always, you know, I, 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 this stuff is great to talk about. And <laughs> I probably am too verbose in, in talking about things, but it's uh, it's it's important to feel good about talking about it. Yep. <laughs> this is where you shine. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Have a great day. Likewise. You too, Michelle. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining me for today's episode of Interactive Control where we discussed system reliability and the conclusion of our four-part series on advanced controls. We at GE Vernova hope you found this discussion helpful. If so, please subscribe to our podcast and tell all your control friends about us. You may also want to check out our website at nexuscontrols.com. Lastly, don't forget the title of this podcast is Interactive Control for a Reason. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover that we haven't yet, or you'd be interested in being a guest on our show, please send us a message over LinkedIn or email and we'll do our best to cover it in a future episode. Thanks again and bye for now.